and it's time to continue our journey through A Blazing Grace. And if you're here for the very first time today, um, let me just catch you up, with, up to date with what we've been doing over the, so far, the beginning of this year. We're going through a series called A Blazing Grace, and what it is, it is a series that is taking us right through the entire story of the Old Testament. So starting right at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to take us right through the story, and we're going to arrive eventually at the Messiah. And we've been through the beginning, we're now up to the family, and today is the last sermon on um, the family, which will lead us right into um, the Exodus beginning next uh, weekend. Now, sermon preparation for me began in a bit of an interesting way this week. I finished my... Uh, I was, we had the growth group, a running growth group um, that Pastor David and myself lead. And we finished, and about 8.30, I walked back up to the house, to where, where I'm staying, and I went up there, because I'd left the place unlocked, because the rest of my housemates were there. And I walked up to the house, and I turned the door, and I realized that I was locked out of the house. And for the next four hours, I had a whole bunch of time to do with no phone, no keys, nothing. But I did have my Bible down in the garage, and so I had access to that. So I grabbed my Bible, went over into the paddock next to where, I, where I'm living, and I opened up to the story of Joseph, which we are going through today. And as I was there reading through the second half of this story, it just, I was just impressed with just the fact that this is one of the great stories of the Bible. This is a story that is just filled with so many twists, so many plot changes, um, and, and so I, as I was reading through it, and as I've studied it throughout the rest of the week, um, I've come up with some things from this story that I believe will really be a blessing to our families, to our church, and to our community. So with that, let's start with a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I just pray that you will help us to really begin to understand this incredible story that is the story of Joseph. And Lord, I pray that as I present, may you give me your words, may you teach me how to present those words, and Lord, I pray that you'll have a message for each one of us that's tailor-made specifically for our situation. Uh, Lord, as I present what I've prepared, Lord, I pray that people will hear things that maybe I don't even say, Lord, things that your Spirit says to their heart. And Lord, I just pray that each one of us will leave understanding what you are calling us to do, and with a, a greater understanding of your love and a greater understanding of forgiveness. This is my prayer in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was a kid... And I, when I went to places such as Big Camp, for those who have been to Big Camp, or Summer Camp, one of the things that I loved to do was throw water bombs at people. Has anyone else ever done this before? And at, when I was a kid at Big Camp, it was almost like we had this little gang of people, and we'd like roam around the tents, and then we'd see someone, often we didn't even know who they were, and we'd see them walking off, and we'd like hide behind the tent and just lob this water bomb over, and just like hope that we get like a headshot. And... So I would, not a very good thing, I don't encourage anyone to do that, but that's what I, used, what I used to do. And then I remember this one time, it was, I was at summer camp, and I don't know if for those who have been to, some of you may have been to Yarra Happiny, and the place where we were staying was the barn, and they used to put people in the barn when they didn't have enough room in the other cabins. And one of the nights, it was towards the end of summer camp, they had this big social, and everyone was gathered and doing fun games and things outside the barn. Now, our place was in the top story of the barn, and that gave us the perfect lookout, the perfect place to see vulnerable, dry people walking past and to get them with water bombs. And I remember I was looking out, and we'd been, we'd been doing this for a little while, and I saw two of the staff members walking along, and they were looking very dry, and we thought, this is it, we've got them. So I, we had this little spot where we could look out, and I saw them, and I lobbed it, and I remember looking at it as it was going, and I was just... I could just like, yes, it's on target. Comes down, hits them directly, and then suddenly they, they turn and they look towards where the water bomb came from. And suddenly I've gone from yes to, oh no, this is going to be bad. And so I race inside, and I can, I can hear them outside like ra racing and I like, get him, and they're like racing to the, where I am in the, in the barn. And there's only one way out. And I'm stuck up the top, and so they race up and they climb up the stairs, and they come in. And I'm just like starting to panic here. What's going to happen? I've, I've, I've been caught. They're going to get me. So I dive underneath one of the beds, and I'm just like hiding underneath this bed, hoping that 
that somehow they can't find me and they give up and they go away. And they're in there, they know that I'm in there, so they're looking around and eventually they look under the bed and they see me. And they grab me, they drag me out, and now I'm just like completely at their mercies. And they're holding me by the hands and the legs, they drag me down the stairs and outside, and it's dark at the time. And they start walking me into this paddock, and I'm thinking, what on earth are these people going to do? And, and there's horses around, this is where they keep the horses. And eventually, it comes to my, I'm like, oh no, I know what they're doing. And I get plunged completely in the horse, the watering trough of the horse, horses. And they got me back so well. They were a little bit wet, but I was absolutely drenched by the end. And we think of stories like this in situations, and maybe we can think of such stories in our own lives. Revenge is a sweet thing, isn't it? These people, you could, I, could just, I just knew when I was getting dunked in there that they were just being completely satisfied through the revenge that they were dishing out to me. There's something about it, and it's like it sort of it satisfies that sense of justice within us. I've been wronged. I didn't deserve that, and now I'm going to get these people back. These people are going to pay. There's something incredibly satisfying about revenge. And as we go through the story of Joseph this morning, we're going to see that Joseph has an opportunity just like what these two staff people at this summer camp had to get back at the people that had wronged him. So let's have a quick revision of what we covered last week. So, the family of Joseph, was it a, a well-ordered family? It was the complete opposite. Quick revision, there was jo- Jacob, fell in love with Rachel, tried to marry Rachel, accidentally married Leah, worked a bit longer, married Rachel, Leah had a bunch of kids, Rachel felt jealous, gave Jacob her servant Bilhah, um, she had kids, Leah then felt a little bit threatened by this, Leah gives um, Zilpah, Zilpah has kids, Leah has more kids, and then eventually Rachel has her firstborn child, Joseph. Joseph becomes a favorite, and then soon Rachel has her second child. In the process, Rachel loses her life in giving birth to Benjamin. And throughout this story, as we were saying, in the family, there was a whole lot of really bad traits that the family had. There was favoritism shown from Jacob. Um, from Leah, she felt unwelted. Rachel brought idolatry in the family, all sorts of jealousy. Um, we saw that Dina was, uh, was raped. We saw that um, Simeon and Levi dished out violent re- revenge upon, upon um, the people of the, of the city of Shechem. Uh, we saw um, Judah was deceived, so there was deception. Uh, we saw sexual perversion. And finally, we saw incredible hatred that was shown Towards, towards Joseph. And as that hatred was developing, we saw that there was some things that made it worse. And two of the things that we sort of skip, skipped over last week was the dreams that, that Joseph had had. Joseph was about 17 at the time, and he has this dream. And in his dream, he's out with his brothers, and they're binding the sheaves of grain. And suddenly, his sheave stands up, and all of his brothers' ones are bowing down to his sheep, and, he's, and he tells this to his brothers, and his brothers are like, what are you talking about? Do you think that you are going to reign over us, Joseph? Then he has another dream. And in this dream, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars are bowing down to him, and he tells this to his brothers and to his father, and his father says, Joseph, are you saying that your father and your mother and your 11 brothers are going to bow down to you? And so the hatred towards Joseph builds and it builds. And then we saw that Jacob gave Joseph this coat of many colors, the, um, I guess the object of his, the, I guess the symbol of his favoritism shown towards, towards um, of Joseph. And that was almost like the last straw. And, when he, and he went down that day, a hundred kilometers from his father's house, a long way away from everyone else, and his brothers saw him, and they thought, let's get him. Let's kill him. Eventually they changed their mind, threw him in the pit. But at the word of Judah, one of their brothers, one of the brothers, they decided instead of Instead of killing Joseph, let's make some money out of it as well. And so Judah convinces them to sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites who are going to Egypt. And, Egypt, and Joseph makes his way down to, to Egypt and becomes a slave. And, so we, and we saw Joseph went from the pit 
to Potiphar, to the prison, and eventually to the palace. And in the palace, he became into a position of power, and he became the provider of grain for the whole world, and all the world was coming to Joseph. He, at this point, is basically second to Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the world. And it is, this, it is at this moment when all these people are coming to Joseph and they're, bringing, they're coming to him to buy grain, to feed their families from all sorts of distant lands, that he has a number of unexpected visitors. And we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 42 and verse 1. So if you have your Bibles with, me, with you, turn with me to Genesis chapter 42. In verse 1, it says, When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin. Joseph's brother with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Now notice that he doesn't fear that harm might happen to the other ten brothers, but he fears that harm might happen to Benjamin. And what we're going to see is that Benjamin is really taking the place of Joseph. Joseph was the firstborn of Rachel, but when he lost him, the only thing that he had of Rachel left was her secondborn child, which is Benjamin. Verse 5. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Verse 6. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Suddenly we see these dreams that seem like such a distant reality through a series of circumstances, providential circumstances, we see that They've become a reality. And we see Jacob's um, sons, Joseph's brothers, come and they bow down before this man whom they don't realize is Joseph. And you can just imagine Joseph is there saying, he's selling grain, next, next, next. And then the next people come in, 10 people bow down before him, and suddenly, it would have taken him back, wouldn't it? He looks down and he, Now, this has been about 20 years since he last saw these people. So they would have become a lot older by this stage. And he looks down and he he realizes, whoa, these are my my brothers. How is Joseph going how is Joseph going to react in this situation? For 13 years he spent in Egypt. Um, slaving away for Potiphar, rotting away in the prison, all the sorts of a suffering that he would have faced, the, the feelings of abandonment, he would have felt lonely, unvalued, unwanted, he was treated as trash, all because of these ten brothers that now are presented before him. And in that moment when he was sold to Egypt, Joseph was completely outpowered, he was outnumbered, he was completely at their mercies. But how much have the, has the situation turned upside down now? Now it is the complete opposite situation. Now Joseph is in the, one, in the position of power, and his brothers are the ones who are at his mercies. Joseph is at, in the position where he could command the armies and the military of, of Egypt to do whatever he wanted to, to those brothers. But the brothers now are the ones who are outnumbered, they're outpowered, and they're completely at the mercies of Joseph. What is Joseph going to do? Circumstances have never been this perfect for revenge, have they? It's like everything has aligned for Joseph to get the sweetest possible revenge. Let's see what happens. Verse 9 through to 13. So Genesis 22, starting in verse 9. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. That would have taken, shocked them a little bit. 
They said to him, No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. They're trying to convince him of their honesty and of their goodness. But Joseph knows them better. Verse 12, he said to, to them, No, it, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. Interesting Joseph hearing those words coming out of their mouth. One of them is no more. Little did they realize that that one who was no more was the one they were speaking to. And you might wonder why they didn't recognize him, but remember, it's been 20 years. Joseph was 17 when he left. He's now well, almost 40, and he's been he probably looks like an Egyptian at the moment. He's dressed like an Egyptian. And they're not even thinking, oh, I wonder if we're going to bump into Joseph. Okay, they think he's long gone. But here they're saying before Joseph, one of our brothers is no more. So what does Joseph do? He puts them in prison. He gets them and he puts them in custody. And here we see Joseph giving to his brothers a little bit of a taste of his own experience. He gets them. Joseph was in prison for a long time, but he gets them and he puts them in prison for three days. And you can just imagine those brothers sitting there in prison. What has just happened to us? Hearing no word from Joseph again for three days, wondering, confused, worried. Are, we go- are our lives going to be preserved? Are we going to be made slaves? And they are freaking out. And while they are freaking out, Joseph, for three days, he doesn't, go and- he doesn't say anything to them. Because remember, he was put on the spot. And I imagine Joseph at this time, he's wrestling with this. Whoa. And he's wrestling with the emotions. He's wrestling with the memories. He's, what do I do with these brothers of mine? They're my brothers, but they've done such a terrible thing to me. What sort of revenge could I dish out to them? What's going to happen? So after three days, Joseph comes back to his brothers. He's got his plan figured out. And he says this to them. Uh, so in ver- chapter 42, and now verse 18. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. Verse 19. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your household. And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die, and you shall not die. And they did so. Remember, Joseph was saying, you guys are spies. You're not honest men. But he's thinking, all right, let's give them an opportunity to prove that they are honest men. If these ten brothers really have a younger brother, go back, get him, and bring him back to me. Now, Joseph, he knows his family, and he knows his father, and he knows that his brother Benjamin would have taken the place of himself and being the, the, the one that shown great favoritism and the one showing great protective care from his father. But he sends him anyway and he says, go and get your brother, bring him back, and prove that you are honest men. And his brothers are thinking, I don't think dad's going to be very happy about this situation, taking Benjamin to Egypt And obviously, he's a very protective father. So they start freaking out even more. Verse 21, Then they said to one another, this is just amongst themselves, um, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Interesting situation here. Joseph, up to this point, has only spoken to them through an interpreter. And what did he accuse them of of being? Spies. Now who's the spy in this situation? Joseph's the spy in this situation. They're, They're speaking amongst themselves, oh, it's because of what we did to our brother, and we... We, we didn't listen to him begging with us. We didn't listen to him pleading with us. And we sold him into slavery. Now God is, is getting his revenge on us. God is, is, is dealing, giving us um, 
He's giving us the punishment that we deserve. And Joseph, all the while, is listening in on this conversation, spying in on this conversation. And, and how does this affect him? Verse 42. Oh, sorry, verse 24. It says, Then he turned away from them, and he wept. Why did Joseph weep? Could it be that, that this conversation they were having was bringing up all those, those feelings of hurt and anger once again? It was bringing back to his mind all those memories of, of being a slave and being sold and, and when he was begging them and, and discussing them amongst themselves. Or could it be that there was a bit of compassion and love starting to develop in here for his brothers? Could it be that that took him by surprise? Well, we're not really told yet, but we're going to see as we go through this, this uncontrollable crying that comes upon Joseph in this moment, starts to come back a few more times as well. And so Joseph, he, he, as he said, you need to leave one person here and go back and get your other brother. So he gets Simeon and he binds Simeon and he, gets, and he, and he puts him in prison and he, sends, and he sends the other brothers off back to home. And the brothers are going away early in the morning and you can just imagine that they're, they're really worried and terrified and what's going to happen. And as the, but Joseph... He says, you know what, let's make this situation a little bit more interesting. Let's play a few mind games with my brothers here. And so when he gives it, he, he tells that when, when he gives them the, the grains of the sacks of grain, which was what they came there for, he commands the people who were packing those to put their money back into those those sacks of grain to take them back, the money back with them. Just to sort of see what this will do to their, their minds. And while his brothers are going going back home. One of them stops to get some of the grain out for the horses and he discovers, discovers that, oh no, the, the money has been put back in here. This situation is going from bad to worse here. And what are we going to do? What are they going to do when they find out that they didn't get the money? And so they go back to, the, to Jacob and they have lots and lots of bad news to tell him. Jacob, um, Simeon's been bound and, and, they, and they think we're spies. They have this request and you're not going to like this, Jacob but they've requested that we bring back, um, bring back Benjamin, and, and we have to do it, otherwise Simeon's going to be lost. And, and also, to make things worse, all of our money has been put back in our sacks. Jacob did not want to hear this bad news. And so this is what, this is what Jacob, Jacob does in response. So 42, verse 36. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin? All this has come against me. Pretty bad sort of situation that he's in at this moment. He's already, it's almost as if he's grieving the loss of Benjamin. He hasn't even sent him yet. And so Reuben steps up and says, verse 37, Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring them back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. Now, that's a way to comfort the loss of another son, wouldn't it be? Sends Benjamin back, comes back. Reuben says, oh, you've lost another son. Feel better by killing two of your grandsons. What's with that? But maybe it gives us a little bit of an insight into the, the way that the brothers saw that their father viewed them. They realized that that Benjamin is their favorite. And for the rest of the brothers, they just they don't even think that their father even cares about them. Kill my two sons if you lose one of yours. And then in the next verse, we see this favoritism, this, this singular focus upon Benjamin come out again. Verse 38. But he said, My son, but he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead. And he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to, to Sheol. My son, Benjamin, is the only one left. How would that feel as one of the other brothers? Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And the only one that I have left is Benjamin. And I could not dare to lose him. Joseph, um, Jacob, you've got 
10 other sons, you've got three wives, you've got grandchildren, you've got a whole tribe here. But in, jo- in Jacob's mind, his favoritism has made him very singular in his focus. And he says, um, Benjamin is the only one that I've got left. Now, something very significant here is not so much in what is being said, but in what is not being said. Here we see the same kind of obvious, overt favoritism being shown towards Benjamin as it was previously shown to Joseph. And when it was previously shown to Joseph, the brothers were filled with this rage and this hatred and this jealousy and they went and they, and they sought to kill and eventually bring about the destruction of their brother. But this time, when this same sort of favoritism is shown, there's a number of things that aren't said. For example, the brothers don't say, Dad, you've got the rest of us. The brothers don't say, but, but, but Dad, Simeon is over there. If we don't take back um, Benjamin, we lose Simeon. They don't say, Dad, do you not care about us? They don't have the same sort of aggressive response to their father in this situation that they had back when, in the time when Joseph was, was around. And what does this reveal about the situation? Could it be, and it's kind of subtle here, but could it be that there's a softening of hearts that has been taking place within the lives of Joseph's brothers? Remember, how long has it been? 20 years. Over 20 years. And could it be that through those years that they've been filled with guilt and conviction and the way that they've viewed their whole situation has begun to change? Could it be that the direction that they were once heading in has now turned around? Possibly. And maybe some people here can relate to the situation that that the brothers find themselves in here. In the, long in their past, they've done this terrible act and now they're filled with the consequences of it. They're, 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 um, they're left with, with the guilt and the, that's been plaguing them for the last 20 years. And now their brother Simeon's and their family is broken. The Simeon's in prison and it's all messy and their father doesn't want them to take Benjamin and, and there's problems that are so difficult. There's guilt that they can't get rid of and they're, they're, they're trapped. They're trapped in their choices, they're trapped in their past, and they're trapped in their circumstances. How do they get out of this situation? And in the midst of this situation, I can just imagine God is looking down. And God knows the rest of the story, as some of us might be familiar with the rest of the story. God knows the rest of the story, and He looks into this situation, and he's, I can just imagine God empathizing with this, with with their messy situation that they're in, and thinking, if only you knew the great solutions I have to your problems. If only you knew the great deliverance that you're about to experience. But they listen to the Father, they submit themselves to His wishes, and they stay in Canaan. And the days go on, the weeks go on, and it doesn't say how long, but eventually that grain that they brought back begins to run out. And remember, the, the famine is lasting for seven years here. So they get into the situation where they become desperate again, and they come back to their father again, and they say, Dad, we need to go back to, to Egypt, but we can't do it without Benjamin. And if you don't, if you don't let us do this, we're all going to die because we're running out of grain, and we're in a desperate situation. So eventually... Um, um, Jacob is, is thinking about this and he's, and he's wondering about this. But Judah says something that is really, I guess, um, revealing of the condition of his heart at this point in the, situ- in the story. Chapter 43 and verse 8. So the brothers are pleading with their father to let Benjamin go back. And Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, 
then let me bear the blame forever. Hang on, is this the same Judah that we've read about previously? Do you remember which one Judah was in the story when they were throwing um, Joseph in the pit? It was Judah who said, you know what? We could kill him, but that's not good enough. Let's try and make some money out of him as well. Let's sell him to the Egyptians and let's do that for whatever they give us. It was Judah that was so heartless that he was willing to sell his brother for a few coins at the absolute utter distress of their father. And now we see Judah, who is before his father, saying, I will pledge my life in order to guarantee that he is going to come back. If he does not come back, I will bear the blame for the rest of my life. Something has changed in the heart of Judah here. And this change is something that we call repentance. Repentance means to have a turning around. Repentance means I was once this person, but I don't want to be this person anymore, and I am turning and I am living a new life. It's a change of heart. It's a, it's, it's, it's a turning away from a life of sin and turning towards the life that Jesus has um, called us to live. And here we see the, the fruits of Judah's repentance. Here he is, he's experienced transformation and he is saying, I will guarantee with my, and I'll be willing to bear the blame if Benjamin does not come back. So the brothers, off they go back to Egypt. Verse 43 and verse 16. So they're back in Egypt. It says, When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men who are to dine with me at noon. They did not expect this. They come back and Joseph says, All right, we're going to have a, a feast all of my, oh, we didn't say my brothers, because they didn't, that would have given it away. But all these 10 people, I want you to invite them back to my house and prepare a great meal, and I'm going to eat with them. And you can imagine the brothers going back to Joseph's house, and they're sitting there waiting for Joseph to, to rock up, and they're thinking, what's going on here? They would have been confused. Maybe this is a trap. Maybe Joseph knows that the, the money was given back to us. Maybe he's going to make us slaves. And they are just panicking. They're worried. What's going to happen next? And they're just waiting for Joseph to turn up. Joseph returns, and again, they bow down. And Joseph, again, is thinking of that dream. Verse 29. So verse 43, verse 29. It says, And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and wept there. Remember, it's been 20 years since Joseph has seen his brother. Of all of his family, there were two, or I guess three that had his, his, his affections. That th three, three people that of all of his family were the ones that he received love from and, and loved in return. His mother, Rachel, she had passed away. There was his father, he's off in a, in a distant land, and now there is his younger brother, Benjamin. And he sees him and his heart just erupts with emotion and compassion and love, and he goes out and he weeps for his brother. And he doesn't just weep, verse, uh, he, he weeps uncontrollably. Now, verse 31, it says, Then he washed his face and came out and controlled himself and said, Serve the food. He's doing pretty hard to maintain this, this face and hide his true identity. But he goes and he washes his face and he comes out, Serve, serve the food. And this is when he begins those little mind games once again. And he starts messing with his, his brother's minds a little bit. Verse 33, it says, And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at, it, at one another in amazement. So here they are. They don't really know this. They don't think they know this person. They're in there. They're worried. And suddenly they look around and go, Hang on. There's Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. Next person, next person, next person, next person, next person, right down to Benjamin. 
we were all in order. What's going on here? And they start sort of getting really confused and sort of a little bit like, just what is going on? These mind games are sort of messing with their minds here. And the second mind game that Joseph then plays is verse 34 says, Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. What's Joseph doing here? He's teasing. The favorite, he knows who the favorite is, and he continues on that favoritism. And remember, Joseph, he, he knows his brothers. He knows that this is going to stir them up. He knows that if they, if they see this incredible, lavish favoritism being shown to Benjamin, they're going to get upset, and they're going to start, con, um, um, get, start conflicting with one another, and what, what is happening here, and and what Joseph is doing is he's, he's putting them in a similar situation to the last time he had seen them by showing this great favoritism to, um, to Benjamin. But it says at the end of verse 34, it says, And they drank and were merry with him. Where's the conflict? Where's the, what's with this favoritism here? Where's the... All of this. And I can imagine Joseph just getting carried away and he's almost like he enjoys the night and he gets to the end and he goes, well, that was strange. What happened there? Where was that conflict that I expected? I'm not quite sure what's going on here in this situation. And so he sends his brothers out and they leave and I can imagine they're pretty stoked at this stage. They came, they were expecting the worst that Benjamin would be taken and he would be and something would happen terrible to Benjamin, and they might not get Simeon, they might be all put as slaves, but they're leaving, all of them, they just had this great night, with um, this meal with Joseph the night before, they leave early in the morning, and they're going back, they're going back, and they're excited to give the good news back to Jacob. Jacob, we've got the food, it went really well, we've got Simeon, we've got Benjamin, we're here, you haven't lost Benjamin, it's all going really well, and they're really excited. But there was one more little mind game that Joseph had up his sleeve. And when he sent them out, he got his silver cup and he placed it in Benjamin's, in Benjamin's sack as they went on. And this is what happened. Chapter 44 and verse 3. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up! Follow after the men, and when you have overtaken to them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practiced divination? You have done evil in doing this. And so when he overtook them, when they came up and they overtook the brothers, he spoke to them these words, and they said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Verse 8. Behold, the money that we found in the mouth of our sacks we have brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal the silver or gold from your Lord's servant? And they're pleading, what are you talking about? There's no way we would steal from you. We brought back the money that we accidentally had last time. Verse 9. Then they say, Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we shall be made the Lord's servants. Now they're saying this trying to emphasize just how sincere they are saying that we didn't steal anything, but the one who finds this is going to die. They're going to wish they never said this in a moment. Verse, uh, so verse 8, behold the money, uh, whichever, okay, verse 10, he said, and so the person says, let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Verse 11, then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. Verse 12, And he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Again, somehow this person knows the eldest to the youngest, and it goes from the first one, show me your sack, nup, 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 and they're thinking, see, we told you, we don't have your silver cup. And it gets to the end, Benjamin, open up your sack, and he opens it. And suddenly it goes from being the, the best case scenario, the little trip to Egypt, to being the absolute worst case scenario. And the brothers look on this silver cup, 
and they are filled with complete horror. Verse 13, it says, Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. Things have suddenly got very, very, very bad. Remember what they said. The one who finds this, may he be killed, and the rest of us will be servants. And they come back, and there is, how will they get out of this one? And they're dragged before Joseph. And Joseph says to them, what have you done? And they're speechless. How, how do you defend yourself? It is been, they've been caught with the silver cup. They don't know how it got there. And what's, what's going to happen? Verse 16, 44 verse 16. And Judah said, uh, where and Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? There's nothing to say. What shall we speak, or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also who is, who, in whose hand the cup has been found. So Joseph, Judah here has just resigned himself to the fact we're, we're stuffed. We will all be your servants. Verse 17. And notice the calculated words that Joseph says in response. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Here we see that Joseph has reconstructed his own story. Back 20 years ago, we saw that the brothers were faced with Joseph being sold to, a, to, eat, to, to have a lifetime of slavery they were, they were faced with the, the, the realization that their father was going to be absolutely shattered by this loss, but they showed absolutely no care whatsoever. And here we see the exact situation Joseph has reconstructed, and we see that Benjamin now faces a lifetime of slavery. Their father now faces great heartbreak and grief over losing Benjamin. And Benjamin, you can just imagine being there weeping and sobbing and begging and, and pleading for some sort of mercy. And the brothers are looking on, and the question that Joseph has for them is when they're faced with this same situation again, will his brothers care? Verse 18. Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ear, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. So he recounts the story. He says, you asked us these questions. We answered these, these questions to you, Joseph. Verse 21. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to the Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, but it, would sh- but it should leave his father. His father would die. Then, his son- then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. So again, he's, he's just telling Joseph, This is what happened. We're doing what you said. You asked for your brother. We've brought your brother down. Verse 24. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my father. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes not, goes, does not go with us, then we will, if he does go with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our younger brother is with us. Verse 27. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Verse 30. And here's where Judah starts recounting the deal that he had made with his father. Now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us then, as his life is bound up in the boy's life, As soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. Hang on, Joseph thinks. This isn't sounding like the last time I heard this story play out. Last time, my brothers couldn't care less for my father. 
But here they're saying, if you do this, it will bring about the destruction of our father. Verse 30. Uh, verse 32. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Verse 33. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Joseph, he knew his brothers. He knew how they would respond to a situation like this. But he is completely taken by surprise. Instead of hatred, instead of who cares about Benjamin, who cares about our father, we see he sees in his brother Judah. Remember, this was the one who came with the idea to sell them to, to, to Egypt. This was Judah. And Judah is saying, I can't do this. Imagine what it will do to my father. And he looks at Joseph and he says, you know what? Let Benjamin go and I will take his place. I will step in and I will be your servant forever in the place of, of Benjamin. Here we see not only a turnaround in Judah's life, but we see Judah is now demonstrating Christ-like love, sacrificial love for his brothers and for his father. And Joseph sees this, and he can take it no more. Verse 45, chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. This must have been some pretty serious weeping here. Verse 3, And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. What do you say to that? Is my father still alive? And it says, But his brothers could not answer them, for they were dismayed at his presence. They were speechless. And suddenly all the mind games start to make sense, and they realize we are undone. Revenge is going to be so sweet for, for our brother Joseph. We are in his, at his mercy here. He's going to get us. He's going to lock us all up into prison. He's going to do all sorts of things to get back at us for the way that we've treated him. But is that what Joseph does? Revenge is sweet, but we're going to see here something that is so much, more, so much sweeter than revenge. Verse 4, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near to him, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. How can you look back at a life like that and say, this was the work of God? But he says, do not fear. God is the one who sent me here to preserve life. Verse 6. For the famine has been in the land for these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve, you for, to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Again, God, brothers, this has all been God's plan all along. Verse 8. So it was not you who sent me, but God. For he has made me a father of Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, go up to my father and say to them, Thus says your son, Joseph, God has made him lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. Imagine Jacob hearing those words. You know that son that you've grieved for the last 20 years? Well, he's like ruling Egypt. Verse 10. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, in, in Egypt, bring, bring yourself, and, your, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children. You, have, you shall have flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you. Notice those words. I will not bring about your destruction, but I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of your brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. 
You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then, and get this, then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And, and, that his, and then his, he talks to them. Revenge is sweet, but there is something that is so much sweeter. Revenge is sweet, but forgiveness is so much sweeter. And why is forgiveness so much sweeter? Well, one of the reasons is because the most important thing that we have in life is relationships. Our relationships with one another, our relationship with God, that's what is, makes up the essence of life. That is what, what satisfies us. That's what brings us joy. But revenge has no power, has zero power to bring restoration to relationships. Revenge might satisfy in the moment, but it cannot restore a fractured family. It cannot restore a fractured church. It cannot restore a fractured community. But forgiveness, forgiveness has the power, and though it might be hard in the moment, it has the power to mend and to restore relationships. But forgiveness isn't enough. I can forgive someone, but unless there's a change of heart in that person, we can be united back together in in a oneness of relationship, but it's just going to repeat the story all over again. That if, if there was no repentance in Joseph's brothers, they could have gone back and they could have lived together and it would have happened over and over again and in the same sort of conflict, the same sort of troubles would have happened. However, forgiveness, when it is coupled with repentance, results in reconciliation. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you for the fact that you chose the path of forgiveness instead of the path of revenge. Lord, we, were out, we are outnumbered, we are outpowered by you, Lord, we, we are completely at your mercy, Lord, and then you, but you extend mercy to us. And Lord, we, when we read the story of Joseph, we realize that it's really the story of you and, you and us, Lord, and, and so Lord, we just accept your forgiveness, Lord, and we ask that you would do that work of repentance within our hearts. Lord, I pray that this sort of reconciliation that we see in this story here may be something that takes place within our own families, within our church community, Lord, within our um, community as a, as a large, Lord. Lord, maybe not store up bitterness, Lord, but maybe extend forgiveness freely. Lord, maybe take the sweetest path, Lord, and not just the sweet path, Lord, the eternal path, not the temporary, temporary path, Lord. And maybe really take hold of what you are calling us to be, Lord. Bind us together, Lord. Unite us as a church. Reconcile us to one another and Lord and ultimately to you, Lord. And we look forward to that day when because of the forgiveness that you've given us and because of the repentance that you've given us, Lord, that we can all live on the new earth, Lord, in harmony, in oneness, in relationship, Lord, with one another. That's my prayer and we look forward to that. Thank you for your love. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.